Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 18 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with Josh and Alicia Dougherty. Josh and Alicia live in the suburb of Pittsburgh, New York, with their 10 children, five chickens, and one dog. Josh teaches special education, coaches football, as well as track and field. Alicia currently stays home, managing remote learning for kids, and cleans houses part-time. Josh and Alicia are passionate about adopting from foster care. Six of their children are adopted. Nine of the 10 children have special needs. Their family mottos are, there's always room for one more, and the Doherty's don't quit. They attribute their sense of humor as the key to success in managing their very large and very loud household. And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Matthew 25, verse 40. Today's episode is called Giving Thanks by the Dozen. I am so thrilled to be talking with Josh and Alicia Doherty. They are the Doherty Dozen. They were a few months ago featured in People Magazine, and it was a great article about FASD, and they were realistic, and they were honest and real, and they were also hopeful, and I really love that. So I am so happy to have you guys on FASD Hope. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So let's just start off and you guys can kind of take turns. Um, let's start off about your family's journey because I know it's a wonderful one and it's definitely a unique one. Oh boy. Um, let's see, where do we start? So we experienced a total of nine years of infertility and miscarriages. Uh, seven and About seven years into that journey, we decided to do foster care, adoption from foster care. Um, and that was when we got our first son, Alex, who is now 14 at the time he was four and he he was our first son and he was our first introduction to the world of FASD and oh boy, what happened next? And we had, uh, then we got miraculously pregnant, um, with our daughter Zoe. And then we, our caseworker came into our house and she said, any chance you want another redhead? Because Alex is a redhead. And so <laughs> they had a boy on their caseload that they needed an adoptive family for. He was six. And that was James. So James came on into the family. And then... Uh, pregnant again. Pregnant again. We had Dash. Then we got our twins. They were a foster care placement. We were supposed to have them for five days. They have now been here for five years <laughs> five days like like oh we're only gonna have them for five days and i was That's like right. oh, okay okay you know we will we'll make that work oh, so five days and then pregnant again yeah then we had bodie and then shortly after we had harley and then we in uh, november 2019 we adopted a sibling group from foster care Bree residential and patrick yeah, yeah they came from residential so between the six children adopted from foster care we run the entire gamut of the FASD spectrum. Wow. During your training, 
did you have any, did any of the social workers or, or during the classes, because my husband and I also took the foster training classes too. Did anybody ever mention the words FASD or fetal alcohol spectrum disorder during your trainings? I think it was glazed. I think it was no. like a glaze, like a quick mention. At some point. I don't remember it. Yeah. Honestly, my husband and I talk about that and um, we don't remember no. it mentioned at all. Well, when did we take that class, though, that we were talking that about was, last night? That was after Alex was diagnosed, because I remember when Alex got diagnosed, yeah. I was like a deer in headlights. I had no idea what it meant. Nothing. Right. And usually when you bring it up to someone, they usually think of the worst case scenario, which is, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome or, or, or severe, a severe FASD. And which is why I was so thrilled and so thankful to, to read your story, because for the first time in like a mainstream magazine, it was talked about as the spectrum, you know, fetal alcohol right. spectrum disorder, which was just such a victory for us. So tell me about just the whole process of the foster care training and the placements and everything. Really, was it like a whirlwind? It just sounds like it kind of all happens like within a short period of time. The foster care training. The foster care training itself was a laborious process. I mean, it's a long gauntlet. It's like six weeks of classes. And, and I think we both were working full time at that, at that period in time. So we'd go work all day, teach all day, and then we'd have to go to classes until nine o'clock at night. So that was a memorable experience. Um, I think it was hard for us to kind of take in all the information because we had just finished um our education, our undergrad and, and special education, special and elementary education. So we had a pretty good feel for like uh, disabilities and disorders and, and kind of like child development and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, it was hard to take in all the information through the adoption classes and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, we're I felt exhausted. Like and- so much of it was common sense stuff. I was like, why are they telling me to love this child? (laughs) Obviously I'm going to love this child. Now that we're 11 years down this journey, I'm like, sadly, they do have to tell people to love the foster children like their own. Like they they do, they have to disclaim that to people. But back then I was like, why are they telling us some Mm -hmm. of this stuff? Yeah. Now, during your, your formal education, because um, Josh, you, you said you studied special ed. Did yeah, you we both he- did. Okay, so I'm sorry. So Josh and Alicia, did you both either hear about or learn about FASD during your education? Nope. Yeah, because no. nope. my background is in music therapy, and I did not learn about FASD at all yeah. until we adopted our son many years later. So now, of course, I know you've shared this before, but so let's let's come to present day and actually let's go a few months back to that awesome article that was released in People magazine. I know the story. I know the story, but can you share with our audience how that story came about? Yeah, that was a crazy story. Um, We are in a local fetal alcohol spectrum disorders support group, which is amazing. And somebody, one of the one of the doctors in the that runs the group asked if anybody would be interested in interviewing for an article about parenting children with FASD. And you know, I waited to see if anyone else was interested. Um, because you know, we're busy. I was like, oh, I'll see if someone else can do it. But 
days went by, nobody was interested. So I said, okay, you know, fine. We'll be happy to talk to someone and share our story. And finally got it set up. The journalist walks in. We thought it was going to be like a 10 minute little tiny article in a local publication. And Josh says, oh, so who are, who do you write for? And she goes, have you heard of People Magazine? <laughs> and our jaws just dropped. And we just kind of awesome. like looked at each other and, and said, uh, oh, what are we doing? <laughs> We're like, yeah, panic mode. We're like, well, we can't turn back now. Now it was <laughs> awesome. And there was just so much talk in the FASD community about how real it was and how informative it was. And it was hopeful. And I mean, when you guys, I'm sure, you know, my husband and I feel like one of the reasons we started this podcast and, and FASD hope is because you don't hear hope a lot with FASD. You hear oftentimes yeah. the horror stories, the, the stories of kids that either fell through the cracks or just didn't right. get the proper diagnoses or, or accommodations. So your story offered hope and that was one of the reasons why I was like, oh, I got to I got to talk to you guys. So I'm really happy to say that our son, who's 18 and he lives with an FASD. So our son composed these questions for you guys, because when I told him about your story, he was like, mom, 10 kids and, and how many of them have FASD? I was like, yeah. And he's like, wow. Okay, can I ask some questions? And I was like, go right ahead, bud. So I'm happy to, to say that he has scripted our, uh, our questions today. The first question is, when are the times that you feel that everybody gets along the best? When we are the most structured and routined and busy as possible. Yeah. They thrive off of that structure and routine. Nice. And when are the times that you think are the most challenging? Um, oh, probably dinner time, yeah. uh, anytime we're leaving to go do, to go do something as a family, there's a lot of pushback and a lot of anxiety and, and, you know, it doesn't matter what the activity is, you Transition. know, the transitions yeah. they struggle with. Uh, did I say dinner time? Yeah. Because dinner time's, <laughs> dinner time's definitely the hardest. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the structure too, is like, yeah. We get together at the end of the day, no matter what, and we make sure that we um, we pray together and and kind of set our minds right and and we sit and talk at the table. And I think that's that's one of the cornerstones of of our parenting philosophies that Alicia and I really really value, and you know we'll probably value that our entire lives. That's awesome to hear that. Our good meal is breakfast. <laughs> breakfast seems to be like that, that cornerstone meal that, you know, we all get together. I mean, we do dinner usually, but sometimes depending on if it's a, um, if it's a challenging day, then sometimes we, we kind of do dinner mm -hmm. and shifts, but yeah, we're, and, the, we're the opposite. We actually, we yeah. do breakfast. And Not, okay. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready for everybody. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So another question from him is how are you guys able to manage everybody's sensory needs having such a large family? Yeah, we moved two years ago and we were completely blessed by this house that gave us a finished room in the basement that we turned into a sensory gym. That is kind of like our go-to room for them. And then Right on the kitchen table, we keep a bin of 
sensory tools, sensory fidgets that they can always have access to. We have a big swimming pool, a big trampoline. Um, and they all have their own little ticky tacks that they keep around close yeah. to them that, that nice. are their, a their lot of them, number one things. Nice. A lot of them have the jewelry. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. I mean, we don't so much do a sensory diet anymore. It's more of, I feel like they've reached the stage where they can access it they on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So almost like just having the accommodations on standby for them. Yeah. Like, if, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's terrific. And then as they get older, it'll be even, you know, it'll be even more so and they'll be able to, to tell you that. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's great. So this is an interesting question and it's definitely a question that I'm sure many families who have children from different birth parents might wrestle with. How do you manage if you have children that have different birth stories, some of them may be some that you're able to share with them. Some of them may be some that you don't know anything about or know very little about. How do you manage the, the different birth stories and, and the journeys of your kids? Well, <laughs> it's definitely a juggling act. We have all open adoptions at this point. So we have one, two, three, hold on, four different sets of birth parents to manage Um, and four different sets of birth parents that want to talk to and see their children. So how do we manage? Well, it's, it's, there, there are varied levels. So our, our oldest child, he was just reunited with his mother. Um, This summer, we decided that it was time to fill that need or fill that void in his life. And we reached out to her and bought her a plane ticket and uh, she came out and, and got to visit with him and they spent hours upon hours talking with each other and kind of hashing out um, life. And, um, you know, so I would say it's easier to have a relationship with her because she's thousands of miles away. And uh, Alex is old enough now where he texts and writes to his mom and, you know, when things come up or whatever, she'll, she'll write to us or or message us. But um, then there's more complicated relationships that we have, like our twins, um, their parents, their mom was non-existent for a long time. um, And we went through the court system with, with the twins. Um, So I had to like, we had to actually talk to the parents in court. And, and literally begged them to sign over the kids. Um, after years. After and years. years. It um, was either the court was going to take their rights away and they would never see their kids again, or they could say, okay, we agreed to give, to let you adopt them. And we would, the court would give them visitation rights. And so it's really important to us um, because we, we both made a promise to, to mom and dad when they signed off that um that we would we that we would make sure that the they're part of their kids lives and um we've upheld we've upheld that but that in itself has been a struggle because um we've had to support them yeah um when you know they're really struggling with their lives um so we've done a lot for them um then there's another one of our kids whose whose mom and and sister are constantly in our lives his sister is super stable. Um, the mom is not, and I have to, this is, this is kind of why I, I, I wanted to make sure that I wanted to make sure it was okay to be real because 
I do not have a good relationship with his mother. Um, I don't really, um, I, I don't, I don't value what she brings to the relationship and I don't see her being a positive influence on her son. So it's really hard for me to be around her. And um, sometimes it's better for me personally to, to stay away from her. So, and then there's the latest kid's parents, uh, mom, uh, the other, the, the kid's fathers in, in prison and will never be seen again. Um, but the mom, you know, has a hard time with understanding like, her statements are, how are my kids? And yeah, so her ba- she has no boundaries. It's just really hard for Alicia and, and I to hear, how are my kids? Right. None of the other parents talk no, to us like that. No, all of the other parents respect that, like, these are our kids. Right. We're raising them together. Right. And so saying my and being possessive and and honestly not really showing just complete lack of respect and, yeah. and for, for what we're trying to do and what we're right. providing for the kids um, and for what the kids are doing for us. So it's a range of, and, and, and the thing is, is that Alicia has such a good heart that, you know, she will bend over backwards to accommodate anybody, um, you know, when they really, really want to see their kids. So we, regardless, we put our feelings aside, Alicia better than I do, but she puts her feelings aside and, and makes sure that the kids that void in their lives uh, is fulfilled that the biological parents are still there and part of their lives. Yeah. I definitely handle all the calls and texts and visitations and letters and photos and all of that. Except yeah. for the twins when dad was in jail. Well, for Daddy yes. When right. the twins dad was in jail, Josh was the one who took them to the jail to visit him. Wow. Uh, wow. Regularly. You know, it sounds like you, you guys with that, cause, cause we're juggling, juggling that too on a much smaller scale, but it sounds like sometimes you have to hand off the baton. You know, I know my husband yeah. and I've had to do that. We're like, okay, you, you reach out or, you know, okay. It, you know, I, I need you to do it this time or whatever. I mean, do, yeah. do you guys find that it's almost like tag team when you're, when you're interacting with the kids, birth parents? Yeah, I think it's I think it's skill set. So like oh, Alicia knows yeah. what Alicia knows what I'm good at and I know what yeah. she's good at and we stick to those roles and and we know when when you know we can't fulfill the certain things that we we usually do, we know that it might be time for us that we need a break or mm-hmm. you know we yeah. can't we can't move forward at that point in time for, for what somebody else needs. We have that, to make sure we value our, our needs as well. That's a great way to phrase it, Josh, skill set, because Alicia, you sound like my husband in that, you know, my husband just has a heart of gold and he, you know, he, he just wants to be so um, helpful and just, and, and just, you know, be comforting. And, and I do too, but Josh, I'm, I'm kind of like you or like, I know my limit and I know like kind of where, you know, my emotions on my sleeve and, you know, where I'm kind of more quick tempered. And I mean, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you are or not. (laughs) I'm sorry, Josh, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus there, (laughs) but you know, it, that balance I think is important and it's helpful when we have families like, like ours, again, ours is on a much smaller scale than yours, but when you have families, that have your kids come from different backgrounds and whatnot. I think it's really important that the parents, you know, that, that mom and dad are united and that you guys know your, we know our limits, you know, we know like, okay, this is where we need, we need help or we need to do this a different way or something. So, yeah. 
I'm so glad you're answering that because I'm sure there's so many people out there who, especially this time of year, you know, we're, we're airing this the week of Thanksgiving and, and you, I'm sure you guys get a lot of calls or texts or anything from, from birth parents. I know our daughter's birth mom, you know, texts us and we're in touch with her, especially around the holidays. So yeah, especially this time of year, we we seem to hear from birth parents a lot more. Yes, that's true. Um, And on Christmas, we've always had like an open door policy. They can come and see their kids on Christmas. I don't really know if we're going to be able to do that this year. Like, well, we won't do that this year. Yeah, I'm just. We won't do that this year. I was I, I was just gonna say COVID changes yeah, everything because it, it, we usually travel to to Florida around this time of year to see my husband's family and and we can't do that because of COVID and right. it's it's just gonna be the four of us out here in the country in, in North Carolina but you know what for us we're actually kind of thankful for that quiet you know because I don't know about your guys but you know the more people, the more sensory, the more overload, you know, the more meltdown. Um, We were probably like the only family I know that quarantine benefited. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Our Our children thrived. Yes. And honestly, because like you said, having the structure in place, having the, okay, this is what we do. This is when we do it. And I don't know if any of your kids have medical issues, but, but our kids have some underlying medical issues. So that was a big reason why we quarantine and we continue to, to be more conservative when it comes to, you know, social distancing and stuff. Um, And it's also a big reason why we homeschool too, you know, because our son, you know, when we first started was missing so many days because of his medical conditions, we were like, you know what, let's just go ahead and, you know, and homeschool. But yeah, yeah. So, so that's actually another question, a couple of questions down my son wanted me to ask, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it now. So how is COVID making Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and the holidays look different this year for you guys? It's, well, really, it's, um, you know, we kind of travel to Alicia's brothers. We've done it in the past where we shift every other year and we we travel down to our brothers to Virginia. Certainly that's not happening this year. Um, And, you know, we kind of love to have a big kind of open door policy, like we said, but um, that's not going to happen either. So I think we're going to kind of keep it quiet, especially for Thanksgiving and then see uh, once December rolls around, wh- when COVID come, you know, how high things spike, um, you know, we may very well be a closed house for, for Christmas too. Yeah. Um, and like we said, it's, it's the good thing is, is that with technology, especially with like zoom or, or, uh, f- uh, FaceTime or any of those platforms, kids still get to see their, their families. And, um, we still get to see, you know, our families. Um, and you know, we have to do things that way. And I think it's still, it's still valuable. Um, and that void will still be filled, but it's just going to be different. And that's just what it is. I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing because sometimes quiet time is a great time too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially just with our guys and with the season being just so bright and loud and, and everything, it really gives the opportunity to reflect and just, just talk about what we're really thankful for, you know, and I know, again, it's different for every family, but I know for us, we've actually thought of our 
quarantine and, and social isolation as almost like a silver lining in family time. Oh yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. The next question for my son and, and also uh, definitely for me is what are you guys the most thankful about for your family? You have this big, wonderful, funny, noisy, awesome family. What are you guys really thankful for? Yeah. I think a lot of people look at large families and they just think of negative aspects and we don't see that at all. These children are so full of empathy and having a large family and so many with special needs. I mean, it forces them to see outside of themselves. I mean, how many children grow up and they're just not purposely and not in a mean way, but they're just self-centered. Like they think of themselves first, not our kids, like not our kids. They think of, they're just, I can't even explain it. They're just wise beyond their years in terms of empathy. And it takes brothers and, and, and our family, our, our, our family creed is that Doherty's never quit. And another thing that's really, really cool about our family is that if somebody is having a hard time that all the other kids will jump in and lift them up and, or protect them. Like uh, our kids, they see something happening to one of the other kids. They basically form a shield and they will take care of business that anybody who messes with their brothers and sisters. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing to watch. And sometimes it, you know, bring a tear to your eye and seeing how our kids kind of stand up for each other and, and also stand up for things that are right, um, regardless yeah. of, of which one is doing it. That's great. That's great. So I know we say um, in our support group and in our now it's online in our online support group, it's really important to find your tribe. You know, when, when yeah. you are a family that has a kid with an FASD or another brain-based diagnosis, it's really important to find your tribe because the way you parent and the way your family is, is different than, oh, yes. than others. But it also sounds like you guys have a tribe within your tribe, you right. know, with your kids. <laughs> yeah, and and I have to share, um, I think you guys posted a week or two ago, um, maybe it was for Alicia's birthday. You guys went to an apple orchard and mm-hmm. I sound like I'm stalking you. I'm not, I just pop <laughs> on, on my no, social no media. <laughs> yeah. I just follow you guys and you, you, you guys have these awesome videos and, and I could see that in the way I think one of your oldest was carrying your, one of your oldest sons was carrying one of his little brothers or sisters. Mm-hmm. Like I could just see right. that it was just a natural thing for him to do. He was just like, okay, yes. I'm going to get, you know, my little brother or sister and we're just going to walk. And you guys were all just walking along. And then I think maybe one of the, one of the littles, like maybe either stumbled or something. And one of the other ones just helped them out. It yeah. was just like so natural for them to yeah. help each other. And, and that's just such a beautiful thing. It really is. And um, you're right. It's something that you don't really see that often. So yeah. that, that's a great part of, of being a large family. And, you know, our last two that we adopted came from a residential treatment facility and they had multiple failed adoptive placements before us. Um, they tried them separate. They tried them together. Failed, failed, failed. Nobody could handle their behaviors. They came into our family and I'm not going to say it's been like you know, sunshine and rainbows, we have behaviors, but in the long run, them being in a large family was their benefit. They needed that. That was what they were used to. That's what they have been living in was around 10 other kids. So 
you know, it really benefited them. So the environment that they came home to just was a good fit for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. What are, before we um, start wrapping things up, what are some of your favorite accommodations or some of your, like I say, like accommodations that you just go to and you're like, yes, I'm, I'm so glad I can do that. Well, during the summer, it's the pool. Yeah. I think it's the weather is great this summer to have a pool, but their, their energy and just all of the kids that just, they get into the water and they'll spend hours in there and they just swim all of them uh, all the way up from uh, the oldest kid to the youngest kid. And they're all in the pool and splash around and swim around. And Alicia and I can just sit there and, and watch them and we get a chance to talk. And for me, during the summer, anyways, that's that's our saving grace. That's our blessing is is to have that. That's great. What that's do we do great. in the winter? I don't know <laughs> what we do in the winter. Well, I don't know. This will be our first winter in pandemic, so right. yeah. I have no idea. We'll we'll be coming up with creative accommodations. Go sledding and... every day. I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys do to be able to accommodate those days where one or more than one of, mm-hmm. of the kids has? a day that they can't access certain things. Oh, for sure. We, we have those days less now, but I mean, we did get some backlash from our article and last podcast that, Oh, well, they, they're not, their kids are just easy or they, they don't have teens yet. I assure you (laughs) we have teens. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we are, we, it's the real deal. Yeah. Um, but we've, just spent 11 years we are research people we just anything we don't know we research it or we find somebody who knows it or we seek that therapy so on those days where you just know it's going to be a day we just keep calm keep calm keep calm because you know they they want you to not keep calm right (laughs) and that is like yeah that's just my thing I'm like you just gotta keep calm I just I'm fine. I'm mm-hmm. fine. It's fine. And we've built up to that point. Like yeah. I'm pretty blunt with people when they talk about when we when we talk about our experience. Like when we first went through the first year and a half with Alex and then having the first having our first bio baby, like it was really difficult. And I think we probably talked about separating mm-hmm. like ten to twenty times. And oh, I, yeah. I know that I had looked at apartments to to move out to and because I was afraid I was going to have to take Alex with me because the adoption wasn't working out and then this our second adopted child came along and we went through the whole thing all over again maybe a little bit easier but we still had like yeah you know we would we would fight and, and we couldn't we couldn't see the end of you know couldn't see the end of the day and and it, it was just a long, hard road that we yes. traveled. It was not easy. And um, it took us a long time to get where we're at right now. Um, and, you know, it, there's good days and bad days, but yeah. nothing compares to, to what it was uh, the first probably four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say that kind of being on the other end of teens and FASD, we're still going through it still. And especially now with transition, you know, he's done with homeschooling and now he's 
you know, working part-time as a carpenter and we're still going through it. And now it's a different set, you know, but I am so thankful that you said that because I have to tell you, there were times that my husband and I came very close to separating too. And again, it it wasn't because we didn't want to be together. It was just like, we didn't, you know, how are we going to do this? That Mm -hmm. was the big question, you know? So like you guys, you know, just, just getting educated, finding out what works, training, that kind of thing. And, and really, really when we moved down to North Carolina, and I'm going to say that was four years ago, we really started just finding our groove. And once we had a diagnosis for our son, and once we knew, okay, let's try this and do this and make accommodations. And and we made some, you know, we moved out from a a lovely suburb to the middle of farm country, but that was an accommodation that worked for us. You know, you guys have accommodations that work for you. And I think that's a big thing, you know, that we can communicate to families out there is that an accommodation that may seem either strange or unusual for other people may be you know, the blessing in disguise for, for your family. So I'm glad that you guys are, are being real and, and because people need to hear that. So I'm for that. I am thankful. We're going to wrap up this discussion. Um, if you guys like to follow the Doherty dozen as I do, (laughs) I love, um, your TikToks, Alicia, I just have to say that. Um, and, and just, you, you, your family is just a blessing. It, it really is. And I'm just so thankful to be able to talk to you, but we will have your links, the Doherty dozen on our program notes in fasdhope.com. Before we like to end with what we call our hope takeaways, which is just giving families, caregivers, loved ones, people that have been affected by an FASD, giving them an opportunity to take away some hope from our conversation today. So what would you guys like to share that can offer our listeners hope? There's always somebody out there to help you. Um, and, you know, we're, we're the number one cheerleaders for people out there. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to us, um, we're always available to listen and we'll definitely get back to you no matter what. Um, we definitely like to help people through this process and we don't want people to have to go through what we went through. I think the biggest thing I tell myself is it's just a phase (laughs) when you are in the trenches, like you're in that crisis mode, like that's just a phase. You're not going to live in that moment forever. You will find the right therapies. You will find the right accommodations. You will find the right meds. You will find the right supplements. You'll figure out what works for your child. Don't get sucked into that moment. It's not going to last forever. It's a phase. You will come out the other side. I love that. And to savor the good moments, to, oh, to, yes. to treasure the good moments. Um, oh, yeah. If that, we didn't have a sense motto. of humor. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. For for us, it's our, our faith and in, in our humor. You know, it, it, yeah. those two go um, it just that gets us through and, and savoring the moments. And for us, it's trusting in God you know, to get us through the, the, the tough ones. Um, mm-hmm. So I am so glad to meet you, Josh and Alicia. Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for and, having us. 
And uh, maybe hopefully next year in 2021, I can have you guys back and we can do an update. Hopefully it'll be post COVID or, or something like that. Yeah. But um, Jeez, I hope so. <laughs> and for everyone listening out there, especially for all our American friends, ourselves included, we hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. And this has been our Thanksgiving episode of FASD Hope. Again, I will be putting Alicia and Josh's information. They're the Doherty Dozen, and it's D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y Dozen. And you can find them on social media. And um, also, they have a Linktree account. Again, we will list their information on our program notes. We'll catch you next time, and take care. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information check out fasdhope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.